Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And uh, I was about to say, that's your man of the booth, Booth Man Prime. But <laughs> it's not. It's still not. Uh, uh, so sad. So Someday sad. soon. Someday yeah. soon we'll all be back there. Uh, now, folks, thanks so much for tuning <laughs> in. We have two amazing guests for you tonight on the show. But a couple of orders of business first. First of all, if you're on Crowdcast, drop a question and ask a question. I'll try to monitor them. If you have any for our guests, you can certainly send them in the comments. That's fine. Uh, but we'll answer all of your questions later on the show. On YouTube, just uh, drop something in the, the comment section there, and I'll keep one eye on it, and we will get to those as well. Also on YouTube, give us uh, one of those thumbs up. We like it. We like you, and you like us. Now, we got some stuff to get out right out of the gate. Like, obviously, oh, yeah. I'm outside, but that's and the sun is less beating down on me. I'm uh, drinking a lovely cocktail. I'm truly living my best life. Pete, Very the nice. same haircut, looking just as good, grown in a bit, looking Thank solid, you. aligning his top hairs and his lower hairs in the best way. Um, <laughs> Alex is the new one tonight. He's yep. um, first off in uh, I want to say a sauna, but you just moved. You spent the last five days living truly an American nightmare. I did. Uh, I can highly recommend moving during a pandemic. It makes everything so much easier and so much simpler. Honestly, the movers were great, uh, but just the extra added level of stress of like, I don't know these people. Am I wearing my mask? Are we keeping enough distance? Are we in the house at the same time too much? Then having to deep clean two different places was a lot. There's a lot. So I'm barely holding it together, but I'm very excited to do the show. The double deep clean. So everybody, the drinking game for tonight is spotting when Alex loses it. <laughs> every every time, time Alex loses Alex it, that's when you that. drink. That's when you got there. When he he does, take a drink. Take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun all night long. Yeah. Uh, probably not for Pete, though. That was another order business we needed to talk about. Depending on how long the show goes, Pete just has to book it on out of here at 810, right, Pete? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, it's uh, Liwana's father's 70th surprise birthday party via Zoom. So I have to be there. I'm sure there's going to be some old person helping them use technology in this. Uh, and it's going to be great. I got a surprise for him. Bring him into our stream. Let's oh, yeah. him up. Let's talk to him here. That's when we want to really give him a nice surprise. Yeah. Now, part of the reason I wanted to set this up up top is because otherwise Pete would just click 
leave and just leave the <laughs> chat at 810 with no yeah. warning whatsoever. Uh, so now you're all up to speed. Uh, there's one other item of business we have to do before we get into the show proper. Uh, now, uh, there are a ton of people who support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash comic book club. Uh, we cannot uh, mention how much we appreciate their support. Yes. Um, but at the top of the month, we like to do a list of thank yous for everybody at the level who get that and above who get thank yous. Uh, so let's jump into that. This is always the smoothest, easiest section of the show. I'll, go, I'll go second. We really get to put our, our personalities out there in this section. Yeah. So let's kick it off, starting with Aaron C. Hollis. Adam Marks. Adriel Moreland. Elena Fontenelle. Amanda Harris. Amy Gonzalez. Andrew Tillman. Benjamin Brown. Brett Macris. Chris Terlizzi. Clemens Luer. Corby Dorby Doodle. <laughs> Curtis LaRock. Man Ryan. Mr. Dan Snow. Daniel Fuentes. Daniel Warden. Danny Heck. Danny Ali, Dennis Scott, Dustin Remy, Eduardo Martinez, Aaron Dorian, Jeffrey Risher, Gerard DeVilliers, James Connolly, ja- Jason Donahue, Jason Williams, Joe Crack, John George, Jonathan Jong, Joseph Kelly, Joshua W. Broxson, Catherine Aninson, Casey Newhaven, Kevin Grimes, nailed the people, <laughs> Kevin Kleinrock. Kieran Broderick, Cody Thomas, Lee Brown, Lewana Thomas, Cute, Luke Asink, <laughs> Mark Carrillo, Mark Kiefer, Mark Zeller, Megan Thigpen, Michael Sturgeon, Mike Dargenio, Mitchell McDonald, Nadia C, Nate Inley, Nick Grayson, Omnia Soul Art, Pedro A. Rangel, Perry Talifiero, Pete's Punisher Slippers. Nice. Pip Pete 2020. Still Prime running. Primetime Pauly G. Rahadian Sastreardio. Pretty good. Sarah <laughs> Schaefer. Scott Carpenter. Tim Lilio Rush. Twelve Bench. Tiago Nascimento. Tina Ann. Victor Perez. W. Blaine. Will Buchanan. Geekas Viral comics Let's and all those this. and many others have left us far too soon so we of course pay tribute to their names uh, oh, wow. no was no, that too dark that was a little no, dark. I, that's, Sorry, uh, uh, uh pete i like that you lined it up so you got to say uh they want his name in this one you really that's the scored first it. time that's happened honestly it's <laughs> kind of amazing first time, yeah uh all right Enough business out of the way. Let's get into it and kick Woo-hoo. it off with our first guest here. I'm going to invite him into the stream. Uh, he's one of our favorite guests of the show. I don't think we've had him on for a while, though. Uh, but he's the creator of Saver, Neil Klein. Yeah. Hey What's going on? Hey, hey, Neil. How you doing? I'm good. I'm sorry if there's a little bit of an echo. I'm here in my basement. Coming uh, at us from ooh, the arcade. arcade. Yeah, yeah. I love this lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what do you have back there? I see Space Invaders. Uh, Space Invaders and Star Wars. Oh, oh nice. who's got is, the that the, is that the Star Wars that you would like sit in the 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 cabinet, but a so smaller they, version? So they have that. They have um, a version where you actually sit in a little seat. But I just got the stand up one with the light up marquee, and I got it in May uh, as a birthday present, and it hasn't worked. Oh, happy birthday! Oh. yeah. Wait, it didn't work. Is no, that it doesn't work? Oh, um, oh great! It, it worked for like an hour. And then that's the, all you need. That's yeah, all I mean, I'm done it. now, right? And then <laughs> the controller broke, and now mm. I've been like in like a mad help ticket war with the company to try to get it fixed. But uh, yeah, they're just trying to give you the authentic arcade experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
the, the ticket is mostly like turn it off, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, reboot. So let me ask you, have you tried turning off your targeting computer? Uh, I try to stay on target when I'm on my game. Stay on target. Use the force, Neil. Yeah, just close your eyes and be like, this is great. I love it. Uh, Neil, uh, excited to chat about this. You have a project. This has now been a long time coming, and it's still a while off at this point, called Saver. It's a very fun concept. I'm a huge fan of, like, cooking comics, cooking manga, cooking all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So what's your take on it? Give us the pitch for the book. Sure. So yeah, the book has been kind of being, I've been pitching it around for a while. Um, over the last couple of years, I've been telling people that my focus has been moving away from, I've always liked to do stories about legacy, legacy, right? Like father, son legacy. I'm very, especially if you're into comics, you know, I've always been into like Green Lantern flash. There's this legacy of heroes, legacy of parents and all that. And a lot of my early graphic novels really focus on that father, son relationship. Um, but now as I'm a father myself, Um, I'm starting to think about stories in terms of the relationship I have with my kids. Um, and I always Mm -hmm. wanted to create a book for my daughter that was very, um, it was an adventure story and it's very like, uh, you know, a strong character and somebody that she can look at as a role model with a lesson, especially as of the four of them, she's the one that's mostly kind of been getting into graphic novels lately. Um, but I've also wanted to do a cooking book like a food book for just forever. Um, I watch food network channels. I watch travel channels, man versus food, all, you know, all that stuff. And I always wanted to kind of do a book about that. And I figured this was a great place to combine the two. So um, what savor really is, it's uh, a story that has this fantastic deep layer world. And it's about uh, an adventuring chef who is from this Island. And I don't know if you guys have read the graphic novel Hicksville uh, by Dylan Horrocks, which is about like, yeah. utopia for comics in New Zealand. It's this like place where people go and it's, uh, there's a library of every comic that may have, has ever been made or could have been made, but never was made. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're like a cartoonist, it's like the place to be. And this Island that my character Saber lives in is kind of that for food. It's a place where like you go and you really, you learn everything about food and the idea is that they're not just chefs, but they're also warriors. So they learn how to cook and fight at the same time. And there's always like a a protector of the Island. So Saver is kind of next in line. And at the beginning of the book, she leaves the Island for six years to go and learn how to cook and fight from people around the world. Right. It's like Batman going off to the world to learn how to be Batman. Awesome. Yeah. And she comes back after six years. And when she comes back, she finds that the Island has been taken over by a band of pirate demon chefs. And she now has to basically face the five deadliest restaurants on the Island to assemble pieces of a magical sword to beat the demon. So it's kind of like top chef meets legend of Zelda. Um, Oh God, really hitting the mark with me right there. (laughs) That is solid gold. Um, So what solid gold is actually the art team is fantastic. The, um, the pencils and the inks have been done by John Broglia, who I met at uh, an event here in the city. And he and I have been wanting to do a book for a while. And so he did the, the artwork and the colors are being done by Frank Reynoso, who did Kings and Canvas with me on Comixology, which was my Game of Thrones meets Rocky, like boxy fantasy book. Yeah. Um, and it, the pages are just fantastic. And they really like as much as I've kind of put into the world, they really took it and evolved it in a way that I, I hope people love it. I mean, the story's got a message. It's a lot of fun. I think we kind of need a funnel ages story right about now. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of food. Um, yeah. 
you know, it, it'll make you hungry. So, um, I mean, on that note, one of my, one of, I think the most challenging things about trying to write a food book is the recipes because you can't be like, all right, your challenge is make a PB and J <laughs> and then go from there. Recipes so, in the name. How'd you vet that stuff? How'd you put that together for the book? So, I mean, I cook, I, 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 I do a lot of the cooking here in the house. Uh, my wife as well, obviously we, we kind of share that, but I've always like, I buy a lot of cookbooks. I read a lot of cookbooks. What was cool about this one is that it's set in like, uh, like on a Polynesian Island. It's fictional. Um, but a lot of the culture, a lot of the language and the cuisine is based on Hawaiian culture and cuisine. So I've been doing a lot of reading and, and kind of, um, research on a, a lot of the cuisine that's coming off the island or has or was actually originated on the island. So you'll see uh, a recipe in there for spam masubi, which is kind of like uh, spam wrapped in uh, uh, rice and, and nori leaves um, and some other stuff. There's um, luau, which is, there's, there's a lot of really in, intense uh, historical uh, recipes and, and things that hopefully people will find themselves intrigued by that they haven't seen before. Um, so a lot of it was me just kind of reading and doing the research and, and, and talking to people. And then what was great was we had a, a I don't know if you call him a cultural consult, a guy who's been basically taking my script and he lives in Hawaii, he lives on the Island and, and he's sort of vetting my work, not just from a sense of making sure that everything is culturally correct, but also to make sure that the, the cuisine is right. Um, I've had uh, some local chefs, kind of look at my work as well to make sure that I'm not saying or doing something that just is super off base. Um, because one of the cool things about Saver is that not only does she fight with a sword or a knife or what have you, but she actually fights with food. So there's one cool scene that I love where she basically throws up, an, she throws up an onion and slices it and the onion kind of hits the people in the face and that blinds them for a short, but there's, you know, other things that they kind of do with the ingredients, which I thought were, was really intriguing. And a lot of it was inspired by my own cooking by things that that i've done and i've noticed like oh this kind of oil is a high heat oil it really like Mm. if i take this oil and put it on my steak uh it won't burn right so what does that mean for somebody who's being pelted with fireballs right can i put that on myself and stop the burn and a lot of that really thinking went into john and i's creation of this world so i hope people like it now when you're cooking and also researching does that ever make your dinner like sort of messed up uh, it, <laughs> my, my dinner gets messed up on its own i mean yeah, good I'm, good yes i'm i mean I'm, I'm a cartoonist comic graphic designer i don't really cook for a living so a lot of the times i'll make something and my kids will say can we order pizza now um, <laughs> and do you cook with your daughter uh as well or, or i guess yeah, what likes, dishes do you cook with your daughter so she likes to bake uh i don't bake mm-hmm. so um she does a lot of that with my wife i i do a lot of um like grilling and chili and like you know, heavy meat and potato kind of stuff. I do that with my son. My son likes to cook. He actually likes to mix drinks, which has been interesting. Um, on. you got to yeah. get a little bartender at your house. It's important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just want to say, uh, as someone who's worked, uh, you know, in the back of house at, at kitchens, uh, I've always found chefs to be the best warriors. They've, they've always been the loudest and, uh, can, yeah, they take no shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, let me say, I mean, as someone who worked exclusively in the front of house, chefs are often psychopaths, so they make good uh, warrior <laughs> hey, villains. Perhaps. We Sorry, have a couple as, chefs as, here. 
I mean, don't as do somebody that. who has eaten at restaurants, I'd also <laughs> like to chime in on this. No, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The official chef of Comic Book Club, Stray Bullet, uh, Brett Macris, says, uh, who works at Kushan in, uh, in New Orleans, please go there if you're in the area. Very good food. Um, he says, agree. This is true uh, about chefs being um, <laughs> truly some of the craziest people on earth. Yeah. And I, I, I love it, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, we got a question here on YouTube from JPeeler999. Wait, is there a garbage plate on the menu for one of the five deadliest restaurants? <laughs> there is no garbage plate. Uh, I tried to figure out how to get like a plate lunch in there, which is huge in Hawaii. That's like a big thing. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't really include that. Um, there just wasn't like it didn't naturally come up. Okay. We're hoping to do uh, two more books. And, you know, obviously the book first one sells. And I'm collecting like I've got a little notepad of all the recipes and all the ingredients that I want to try to get into it and trying to figure out how to, how to get a, a deadly plate lunch on, on the menu is, is definitely on my plan. Is there any chance any of the characters are sucking on a cheesesteak? <laughs> oh, come on, man. Come on. Chucking on a cheesesteak. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm sorry, Neil. Sorry you had sorry, to That's our Zoom morning crew moment that we got. <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, so what is this coming out? Uh, before we let you go, uh, plug – Plug when people can look forward to it. Sure. Um, so it's going to be hitting stores January 2021 from Dark Horse Comics. Um, it is going to hopefully be, I think, in the September previews. It was in previews, but then because of the whole pandemic situation, it got uh, pushed off a little bit uh, because of everything. So it's, look for it January. Um, I'm hoping if you know next season conventions become a thing again uh, to show up and start signing at a few. So. Awesome. Uh, Neil, I, you want to, oh, I want to say ahead. before before um if you're headed out, I want to say like, I really love where your head's at. I feel like you're the the books you're putting out there and the the way you talk about comics online, like your thinking is so like it feels like you're really meticulously getting into the details of these worlds you're creating. And I really appreciate just watching you work that way. I appreciate so that. Cool. Thanks. No, I mean look, I I've been doing this for a while, right? And yeah. you know, um after a certain amount of time you want to spend the amount of time, the proper amount of time on the proper amount of planning. And instead of trying to like whack a mole, 50 different ideas, I try to take a few ideas and really like yeah. with them. One of the big things that actually, and I know that you got to uh, move on, but um, one of the big things that I've been trying to do with my last couple of stories is create a world Bible for each one. Right. And it literally is just a, a word document with this really extensive, extensive outline that looks at like the history of the last couple of years, characters, locations, relationships, what have you. I did that with Kings and Canvas. We did it with Saver. I'm doing it for something that I've got coming hopefully in, in October, 2021, uh, which is even a, a larger departure than what I've done now. It's, it's a, it's a cool like horror thriller book. Um, mm, but awesome. the idea is to really just think about not just the world, but also how, especially like the, the horror thriller one's really cool because it's set in New York and it's really contemporary. And as a creator right now, especially during, you know, the fact that the world is changing and the pandemic is here and what have you, you know, contemporary means could mean a completely different thing in a year from now. So yeah. 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 I mean, you think about like, if you're setting a character in a story right now, like what are they dealing with in terms of cultural and societal and also medical. Right. So um, I'm trying to put a little bit of work into it. Uh, um, not that I didn't before, but really like making sure that things are planned out for the story. I love it. It, it takes, 
it takes more time and more sort of confidence uh, in like what you're working on to be like, okay, I got to lock it down for this one, as opposed to just being like, here are 10 ideas I'm working on. But I think it pays dividends in the long run. Well, thank you. It's very- appreciate that. Yeah. Congratulations, Neil. Definitely looking forward to checking out Saver and everything else coming from you. Always good talking. Uh, good luck with the Star Wars arcade. Hopefully it works. Yeah, so, yeah. that's the real focus. That's what I'm talking <laughs> I'm, about by really putting the time in. Is their Star I'm Wars literally, arcade game. I, I'm literally like a week away from sending it back and just buying a damn Oculus. Uh-uh. No, but, <laughs> no, don't give up. There is no do. Never mind. The, uh, I got, got stuck. Sure do not. Back. There is no try, Alex. I, I no, don't know. By, you don't know. Everybody drink. Alex doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm hoping right. to see you guys again pretty soon in person. Uh, yes, yes. I hope so too. Stay safe out there, Neil. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. Ah, what a great dude. Always good to chat with him. Always good to have him on. And definitely check out Saver. I'm a, like I said, a huge fan of food comics. We're going to invite our next guest into the stream here. So hopefully he'll get set up in a second. He's the mastermind hey. behind TKO Studios. Hey, Chad. Hello. How's it going, guys? Hello. All right. Good. Thanks for joining Good. us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm very excited to chat with you about everything because you have so many things going on right now. Uh, but definitely want to talk about the TKO Studios stuff because you guys have been around for. I want to say 18 months at this point. Is that right? 18 months. Yeah. 18 months. And this, this might sound like I'm pushing off a couple of other comics publishers, but it almost seems, and we'll, I'd love for you to explain the model and how TKO studios is different, but it almost seems like the model of TKO studios made you more prepared for the pandemic and everything that's been going on in comics than a lot of other publishers. Yeah. I mean, from the very outset, you know, we tried to do, our, our editor-in-chief kind of explains it as, as we started to build TKO's business model, we were doing so many things differently that we were like, why don't we just do everything differently? And so... <laughs> Good choice. Uh, you know, we, we binge release our books. Um, so when we launched, uh, we launched with four titles, and every issue of those four titles were available right off the bat. So... Wow. We launched 24 individual issues of, you know, four titles. So um, certainly freaked people out right off the bat. <laughs> and then we also released in multiple formats at once. So if you're a single issues person, you can do six issues. Um, we print everything oversized. So it's six oversized issues in a box set, um, oversized trade paperback or digital. And we launch all of them um, when we launch every series. And then we offer the first issue for free to read at tkopresents.com um, of every single one of our series so that we can, you know, people can kind of try and figure out which books they're excited about. You know, as a new company, we really wanted to make sure that um, people knew that we were, you know, we could, the quality of our books, we wanted to speak for themselves. And um, we also go around Diamond. We do all of our own fulfillment. We do deals directly with comic book stores, and we do deals directly with um, with customers. And so, because of that, when Diamond stopped shipping, we were able to, you know, continue to ship. Um, and you know, we did this COVID initiative, um, which um, I don't know if you guys you guys have heard about, but. Um, starting in March, uh, we started looking around on Instagram and Twitter and seeing a lot of our um, comic book shop partners closing up shop or doing, you know, 50% capacity curbside pickup. And I think everyone at the company was like, 
this is not going to get better, not anytime soon. And so we wanted to do something to show support for the comic book stores. And what we did was um, um, over the course of about three months, we allowed customers to, every time they purchased a book from TKO Presents, we sent 50% of that sale to the local comic book shop of their choice. Wow. So we dropped down so many um, of, I think by the end it was maybe 700 or 800 stores wow. where people could choose their favorite store. Um, they didn't even need to, I mean, I you know, it's like you could choose the store that you went to growing up or whatever. Um, and we would send them the exact same amount that they would have made if they had sold it from their brick and mortar shop as if they were still open. So um, over the course of that initiative, we sent over 1,200 checks to over 650 stores. And we were really excited to be able to at least, you know, I mean, I think for a lot of comic book shops, every, everything made, made a difference at that time. And, yeah. you know, now that stores are opening up again, um, that initiative is over. But we always continue to have new initiatives to help out shops. That's um, so smart. I love just... The, that heads up thinking is something that so many people attempted to try to do uh, in a couple capacities, and that one is actually just logistically successful. <laughs> we we, uh, we really try hard. I mean, I think that because of who we are as a company, you know, we have um, we have the backing and the runway of you know a very large company. Um, my co-founder Sal Simeon. He created a company called, he founded a company called Seasoft.com, which is our kind of sister company. And we can kind of draw down on the infrastructure um, of that company and the funding for that company. And for us, um, you know, what I love about working at TKO is that we have the ability to make big changes and make, do big things in the comic book industry, but the actual decision-making cortex of the company is very few people. And so literally like, I mean, I woke up at, on a Wednesday at 4 a.m. in a cold sweat being like, we need to do something for accomplishing ah. this. This sucks. Like this is, I don't like seeing the stress in our retail partners and, you know, comic book shops were where I discovered comics to start with. And, um, I, Five hours later, we had come up with the initiative, but we just had to figure out the back end of the programming to make sure that the website worked um, in order to fulfill those orders. So this is going back a little bit to when you guys first started. And clearly, based on everything you're talking about, you put in the work with comic book retailers, with fans, etc. And I think we can certainly talk about the creative teams on the books in a second, but they speak for themselves. But given that you are coming from a place where it it maybe felt like, Oh, this is a bunch of Hollywood guys. This is, they got a development deal. They're coming in. Did you get a lot of pushback from the comic community at first, or was it relatively smooth sailing? I mean, early on there was no pushback because nobody even knew who the hell we were. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the first year and a half, honestly, of just, you know, ramping up the company, getting our infrastructure in place, it was a lot of me and Sebastian Gurner, my editor-in-chief, and Carmen McKenney, who did our creator outreach, literally walking up to people in Artist Alley and being like, hey, we're TKO Studios. You can't find out anything about us online. You don't know anything <laughs> about us. One day we will exist. Do you want to spend a year working for us? Um, 
And I think the pitch was, I mean, that is the worst version of the pitch, obviously, but <laughs> we had a lot of stuff in place, meaning that our mandate was we wanted to be the first modern comic book company, or we wanted to modernize the comic book industry, both um, from a creative standpoint, but also commercially. And the fact that we were trying to do something new, you know, the fact that we were binge releasing our books, uh, the fact that because we were binge releasing our books, they're not tied to a monthly schedule. You know, it's like, I mean, I've worked, I've worked on television shows where we do 22 episodes a year, you know, 22 episodes every 10 months. Is every episode going to be amazing? No, you know, and <laughs> um, just trying to figure out a creative workflow where, okay, let's say you've worked for Marvel and DC, you've made a name for yourself. You're doing 20, 22 pages a month. Do you want to spend you know, one and a half time, you, you want to spend six weeks on an issue. You, you want to spend eight weeks on an issue. And for us, it was the ability to do binge releasing was also tied to the idea that, okay, what is, why don't we give our artists and writers actually the amount of time it would take them to do their best work. And I think that, you know, with some of our writers and artists, you know, um, Jeff Lemire, Gabriel Walta, Roxane Gay, Ming Doyle, Garth Ennis, Steve Epting. Yeah. Like, I mean, Gabriel Walta for Sentient, which was just nominated for an Eisner, um, you know, he was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm on board. I want to do this book. And I was like, we got to find a colorist for you. And I was just searching through his Instagram and Twitter, and I found this one image that was watercolor. And I was like, I called Gabe, I Skyped him, I was like, Gabe, who did this? Who colored you on this? And he was like, oh, I did. Um, I don't know if you know, but I'm a classically trained painter. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, why don't you take some time and do that, man? (laughs) It looks really good. He was like, I was like, can you do that for Sentiment? He was like, no, no, it'll take me seven weeks to do each issue. And I was like, then we'll give you seven weeks. And so there's a reason that our book kind of look the way they do is that from a creative standpoint, you know, we have the workflow that works to make, you know, those books look as good as, as they can look. That's awesome. That's we, got so a, cool. we got a question here from Eduardo in the comments. Any chance of second volumes for any of the TKO titles or as part of their policy to make them all one and done? Um, we certainly are talking about it and we'll probably have an announcement in maybe a month, a uh, month and a half um, about uh, a spiritual sequel volume to one of our, mm-hmm. one of our books. Um, I think for right now, because we were a newer company, we wanted to experiment with a lot of different, kinds of stories in terms of genre. We certainly want to keep it open in terms of if our creator wants to do a second arc of a series, um, we're certainly open to it. Uh, JMC Hammer says, super impressive, just ordered two books off the website. So if you could add that to our affiliate fees, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, which are <laughs> devastating. <laughs> uh, we actually have another question. I don't know if this is too businessy, but uh, on YouTube, Ramsey Hassan says, big releasing books is a bit of a pressure on artists. How do they get paid? A big advance I get, I bet. Let me see. What, what was the question? about? Uh, the question is like... Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on the artist for that. So how do you how do you handle that? Do you? I, I don't know how in the weeds you can get sure. it. In terms of- um, as listen, so here's the thing about TKO, and we always talk about this. Sebastian Gerner and I, like, I mean, Sebastian came from the comic book world. I came from the film and TV world. This is sometimes also very opaque, but we want to be the most transparent comic book company out there. And so, like, the truth is that 
Um, we make it work for writers and artists by paying them what they're worth. Uh, we match Marvel and DC's page rates in terms of a page rate. And we also um, give our writers uh, and artists a significant back end. And that's across all media, meaning if it does go to nice. TV, they get a piece of that as well. And the other piece of it that I think is people don't talk about enough is that we pay page rates that match Marvel and DC across the board, meaning colorist, wow. letterer, editor, designer. I think there's a lot of comic book companies where they might splurge on the writer, but then you kind of see the creative team's page rates get whittled down. And I kind of feel that a book is only as good as its weakest link. And that's not even to say that, you know, the colorists or letterers who are working at these other companies, they might, they, they might just not be able to do their best work because if you're juggling, you're coloring yeah. books a month, yeah. they're exactly. paying $50 a page. What do you expect to come out of it? So we want to just make sure that, listen, I have certainly worked really hard at times where I was not making a lot of money and that, <laughs> that not helped me make my best work. It definitely worked against it. So, you know, we put a lot of value in these books. We, we, we really feel that, you know, especially coming from, you know, again, like, I want to be a comic book writer and a comic book artist when I was a kid. I've always loved comic books. And that was part of the reason why, you know, I started the company. Um, and, but still, like, you know, I know that there is a certain feeling from, um, fans that, well, what is, what is this company really in it for? You know, are they here to make comic books or are they here to make quote unquote IP? My goal was always to, to, to make it undeniable that if you look at our books, that it was clear that we wanted to make something that was going to be great comics first and foremost, and then we could worry about the film and TV stuff. But there's no, there's no reason those things can't be like, why is, why would people be mad if you were like, yeah, we want to make these and then also make something else. It's like, well, if we make the best comic, we will also have a much better um, IP to pitch to any sort of other media. Like, it, to, I just the criticism of like, oh, you're only here to make IP. I think is so like, if it's good comics, if you're making great comics, which it feels like you are dedicated to making great comics, then well, I, that's enjoy. The, that's the that is the because from personal standpoint, you know, we wanted to differentiate ourselves. And part of it was like, I was looking around and there, there are certainly a lot of companies that are just like, let's spend as little money as possible. Yeah. Another comic book. And like, you know, as a, as a writer and director and producer, like there were times where this still happens once in a while where I'll get sent a comic book from an agent and they'll be like, look at the comic book. Don't look too hard. It looks terrible. (laughs) (laughs) We really want somebody to adapt this. We just have to change everything about it. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe not the title, but maybe the title. And I'm like, why are, why are you even giving me this thing? Why did you love that? We love this robot on page 10 is that's the thing we want to build the project (laughs) around is this one robot. So is there any way to ignore the fact that it takes place in Victorian England and just move forward with the robot on page 10. That's what we were going to focus on. It's really, and, you know, I think that we want to we build something where, you know, across the books, like, there's a certain quality to them. We want to work with a bunch of established creators, but also a lot of up-and-coming creators. And I think, you know, listen, it's certainly gotten easier to approach creators after our first wave of books came out. 
Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, to go back to your earlier question, it was a lot of, it was a lot of very awkward conversations for about a year and a half. Uh, if, if somebody was new to TKO and they wanted to check out one thing to like get their foot in the door, not to make you choose between all your babies, but what would you recommend? Well, I think you could go to the website, tkopresents.com. And the great thing is if you go on the site, we have eight titles available right now. We'll have another four in the fall, but you can just look at whatever ones you're excited about and they click on free first issues and download. You can get the first free issues sent to you directly. And so you can kind of that's awesome. read through the first issue, see what art or story appeals to you and kind of go from there. You know, I think that one of the things about TKO was we want to build out the comic book um, readership and a lot of the things we do. Um, when we first started out, you know, we kind of actually asked ourselves three questions at every stage where we were trying to figure out the business model. And the questions were, is this good for creators? Is this good for fans? And is this good for comics? And if nice. something didn't answer those three questions, we just wouldn't do it. Or we would find a way where it did answer those three questions in the affirmative. And so, you know, the three first issues were a way to say, okay, well, how do we make comics less insular? How do we make it so that if somebody is, say, a Roxanne Gay fan, you know, we have a book with Roxanne Gay and Ming Doyle, yeah. where maybe they don't know, they know Roxanne's work, but they don't know comics. How do we make it as easy for them to get their foot in the door and to see something that, oh, well, maybe I do like this. And if I like Roxanne's book, you know, I can request all the other single issues. Maybe I'll like them as well. Because the third thing is the box set. You know, we found that when we first started talking to a lot of people who are kind of interested in, um, uh, especially individual comics, there's a certain type of collector mentality that's shared between like sneakerheads and toy collectors and comic collectors. But a lot of people can't uh, collect single issues because they don't have enough to put in a long box or a short box. They don't know where to put them on their shelves. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's a box set where the six, inch, the six issues go inside the box set, and it goes great on your shelf. It's got a spine. It has a title. Um, and, you know, I, I just think we, we made a lot of those decisions to try to make it as easy as possible for people to get into reading comics. It's great. You're getting shouted out in the comments. Uh, Neil Clyde, who was just on, is shouting out The Banks, oh, nice. um, the Roxanne Gay and Ming Doyle series. Um, you got Sentient, um, obviously, and Fearsome Dr. Fame. Fang is getting a shout out here as well. Which cool. is your book, right? Yes, I, I, I co-wrote that one with my friend Mike Weiss. Um, Dan McDade did the art, Daniela Miwa did the colors, and Steve Wands did the lettering. They so, are cool. Awesome books. Everybody should check them out. Before we let you go, though, I do have to ask you, I'm a huge Gremlins fan, and you are <laughs> show running the Gremlins prequel animated series. What, if anything, can you tell us about that one? It'll premiere HBO Max in 2021, <laughs> um, 10 episodes, and I think that we have shared the general synopsis, which I can tell you about, which is, um, you know, in the original movies, there's the old Chinese guy, Mr. Wing, who runs the shop where they find Gizmo at the beginning. And he's kind of his guardian. Uh, this is a prequel series that takes place in 1920 Shanghai. And is the story of a 10-year-old Mr. Wing, Sam Wing, as he meets oh, nice. Gizmo, And they go on this adventure uh, through China. And uh, it's very serialized. It's like a big treasure hunting adventure. Uh, it's like 
tonally, it's like Goonies or Indiana Jones. It's like it's great. Tony, scary, actiony. Joe Dante is a consulting producer on it. It's been great to like run stuff by him, hear the amazing stories he has about Gremlins. Um, but it's been a lot of fun, and we have a great team on it. Um, we've got incredible animators and character designers and art directors. It's been a wonderful creative experience so uh, cool. m- most important question gremlins or gremlins 2 i mean if if i choose one joe dante will like <laughs> yeah how <laughs> dare you alex <laughs> especially because alex is a huge <laughs> gremlins 2 guy right <laughs> no she hit me in the head um, <laughs> i i mean i love i love both of them i love both of them and i also love the Key and Peel skit about Gremlins 2. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask so what you do about that. That's, funny. That's great. Uh, good luck. I like to be in the writer's room, to be honest. <laughs> and obviously, you and I are in the same place, so I'll see you um, at the bar in one second. <laughs> Our beautiful greenery. If you, just reach, if you see my hand kind of go around your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> right. Look, it's coming. There You're it is. We're facing each other right now. Uh, Say so thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. Uh, good luck with everything on TKO. Good luck so with cool. Lids and all of your other projects. Have a great day. Thank you very much for having me. Like it's great to be on a podcast like this and um, or video cast rather. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was nice to follow Neil. Yeah, yeah, right on. Thank you so much. Right, Have a good day, around, man. Good luck. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, awesome stuff. So cool. So uh, cool. Definitely check out everything from TKO. As he mentioned, in case you missed it, there are tons of free books on their website that you can check out right now. Uh, also, look forward to Gremlins, the animated series coming next year. I'm so excited. I know you. I, clear, you I love you. You're a fan. You're, you're literally you're a fan. Normally I, was, I, was not sitting that there. I was sitting there for 20 obviously- minutes listening to this crap about comic books. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, obviously you're very tired, but um, yes. yeah, I feel like you, your journalistic uh, credentials dropped away for a brief yeah, moment. They yeah. really did. And you exposed your fanboy <laughs> underneath, was, and I love it. I've done, I, As you guys have done, we've done hundreds of interviews together, and we've done yep. hundreds of interviews definitely. in general. They're definitely like being like, what about gremlins? <laughs> as a, Probably. I can always like. tell the questions that come from your heart because your voice cracks when you ask them. And like yeah. all great journalists, Maggie Haberman, when she's doing a devastating story about Trump, always her voice cracks just a little bit. Uh, so. Poor Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we only got a little bit more time with Pete, so we are going to move on to our next section, which is my favorite section, because you all make it up. It's your audience questions! And for your audience questions, as a reminder, all you got to do is drop something and ask a question on Crowdcast, or you can just drop a question in the comments section on YouTube, either one of those are absolutely fine. Uh, or just walk up to Pete's um, where he's living now and ask him directly on camera, sure. and we'll he'll answer it then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is from Edward Doherty. Do the fictional cities of the DC universe have different accents similar to New York versus Boston accents? And if so, are they unique to DC universe and something we've never actually heard? And if so, could you all give us your best inter uh, interpretation of the accent for your favorite DC city? That's great. I love that question. 
Obviously, I, Gotham I feel, people are yeah, like, Gotham. hey, we live in Gotham City, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, I'm walking over here. Watch it, Batmobile. Hey, Batman, get out of my face. I'd actually be very curious, Justin, to hear what you think an Opal City accent is, because the first thing that comes to my mind, even though this is 100% not accurate, is everybody talks like the shade. I, I like a light British. Uh, yes, they're like, mm, yes, very oh, interesting. Actor. Let's see this. I actually th- feel like Opal City would be a, a little bit more uh, in the sort of New Orleans uh, vibe. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit more like that. So it's like sort of a, a delicate... Well, I guess Starman's going to be coming up here any minute now. <laughs> uh, something like that. Oh, that was uh, glorious. Yeah. Do they ever? I feel like there has to be some book like that. But like, do they ever do the accent writing in any DC books that you've seen? I don't think so. Not for the DC cities. I mean, th- that's such a great question to ask, yeah. uh, like DC editorial, like what that means to them or if they've ever had to uh, encounter that. Because I feel like Metropolis sounds like, hey, we got a uh, Superman's here. Let's do some news. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I feel oh, like geez. they're 1920s, <laughs> classic 1920s New York. Central City sound like Fargo. Uh, wait, it says, what are, what are the twin cities? It's Central City and. Keystone City. Keystone. And I right. think Keystone is the industrial one, and Central City is the more like hoity toity one. So Keystone City is definitely like, hey, we're from Keystone City. We fix some <laughs> yeah. cars over here. A big villain is a guy who's made out of cars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that is, a, I love that question. That's fantastic. Thank you, Edward. Uh, and when was, this, is a, this is a question back out. Um, when what, what's the newest DC city? Like mm. I feel like are are they not adding more? Uh, like do we get what's their version of the sort of more of the Sunbelt cities or other cities in the country that they need to add? Uh, yeah. I was thinking that far sector. Yeah, was like, yeah far, far sector is a good answer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's accurate. Like even if it's not another planet, uh, and Jamison has spent so much time fleshing up the planet, figuring out how the city works, figuring out how the faction works. It's very impressive. Um, but, but yeah, I feel like I, I've talked about this incessantly, but I just finished a reread of Starman. And it's amazing how much time James Robinson spends on like, here's several pages on the art deco nature of Opal city, which is I mean, great. it's, I, that's one of the reasons why I love this, the series, like the de- absolute dedication to this very tiny bits of that world made it a better series. Yeah. Uh, question from Brandon Medina over on YouTube. What about cables accent from the future? <laughs> you oh. very hard to answer that question. I guess I would say, yeah. Tiny computer voices in the middle. Yes. I am cable. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, great. All right. Here's another one. This is from Beercat PhD. What is a comic book team group that you thought was absurd, bordering on terrible when you first heard about it, but grew to love? For instance, I just watched the Sex Men episode of Doom Patrol and was blown away in you and implied by something I thought I'd for sure hate. Hmm. Uh, I feel something- like. Slightly uh, uh, to the left of the question is the idea that we've been getting a lot of interest in Doom Patrol basically in our world. So (laughs) uh, we hear you and um, we'll talk to you. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm actually an episode. Yes, I'm an episode behind on Doom Patrol at this point. Uh, so I got to catch up. I heard that was great. But the uh, team or idea that you thought was too absurd that you thought would hate, uh, but it would actually like? Metal Men, for me, like there was a couple mm. uh, different, uh, whoever was on the team, uh, sometimes was more impressive than others. But uh, yeah, I've never been. I never thought like, oh, this is a great team. I can't wait. But there have been some books recently where I was like, oh, this is actually a lot better than I thought. This is an uh, old time. I mean, this is an old timey answer, but I, I'll say the new defenders back um, in like I want to say the mid nineties. Marvel was like, the defenders are uh, not cool, but you know it is cool. Ghost Rider, the Hulk, Wolverine. Why don't we make them the new defenders? And I was like, this is stupid. But actually, it was pretty cool to have the um, those all. It, it was sort of a precursor to the all sharps X Force team. <laughs> or it was like, let's have the edgy characters hang out and be dangerous. I I gotta say, Deadpool, just because a lot of times, mm-hmm. like having a nonstop joke machine who's breaking the fourth wall, just sounds inherently like it would be very annoying. But there have been great runs on Deadpool. Like really I, great runs. Really, I, I think the first one that I read religiously, though, was the Jerry Dugan run, mostly because we were covering it and we were talking about it a lot. But that was something that I felt was Jerry Dugan and Brian Posehn, excuse me. It was so smart because it really got to the emotional underpinning of Deadpool in a way that I hadn't seen before. And I think that's the thing that cut through the joke machine nature of it for me. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Well, I think the best Deadpool gets back to the core. The original run was like he was always funny but he it was also like sort of tragic and he was always like on the edge of being like i i'm a monster and i think those are the best uh, uh versions of deadpool also the thunderbolt series uh i didn't think i would like at all and i was really impressed with that uh yeah there's a comment here from joe crack uh saying uh in humans i thought would suck and they do suck i would highly recommend if you think that (laughs) (laughs) read the run by paul jenkins and jay lee which is awesome that is very good paul jenkins underrated creator yes really i I don't know what he's done recently but i feel like he sort of pops up very randomly i don't know what else he Mm -hmm. does um as a as a writer in general but uh, someone who like really does good work in mainstream comics and sort of on his own stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, also, Ben does slip. This is a good one. Uh, says Eternal, specifically the game and run for the art alone. Yeah, that's uh, Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr. I think. Yes, I think that's uh, right. And that's something that I feel like every time they mention the Eternals movie, and we've talked about this, it's like I. I've been reading comics my entire life. I don't know. Don't, don't, please don't challenge me to name many of the Eternals, but that book is very good. Yeah, uh, here's a question from Kevin. Speaking of other media, what is some of your favorite comics themed music? Who comics themed music? Uh, that I'm no Superman song from the beginning of Scrubs oh, is pretty good. Wow. A huge, uh, huge song, obviously. A pocket full of kryptonite, uh, right in that same vein. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't uh, know. Wait, what was that? Uh, what was the name of the band that we had on the show a couple of times that I'm blanking on? You have their shirt, Pete. MC Chris. Well, we had MC Chris. MC we Chris. had MC Fall Chris. Fall on your sword. Fall on your sword. That's who I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who are awesome. Uh, Danger Mouse is getting a shout out. Kirby Crackle, always very good. Um, yeah. I 
I usually kind of like get kind of iffy about comic book music because it feels like putting something cool on something that's not that cool, you know? So it sort of rankles me a little bit, but it's all good. Pete, you, uh, <laughs> somebody called out run the jewels, did a bunch of Marvel collabs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, I mean, talking about like interviews where we get highly unprofessional, but in the right way, it was uh, at New York Comic Con. You talked to Run, right? From Run DMC. Yeah, that was the coolest. And he revealed that he sold his uh, records and turntable or sold his comics to get uh, uh, turntables uh, to so that uh, Run DMC could get going. Now, let me ask you, Pete, do you think you back that as a choice? That feels like a very anti Pete move to sell your comics. What was funny was. I was on the phone uh, actually today talking with my mom and uh, you know, we were talking about like how I'm moving and I'm strapped for cash. And she was like, well, you could always sell your comics. And I was like, well, that's, that's not even on the board of possibilities. So let me ask you, Pete, what would you sell your comics to buy? If Ron sold his comics to buy the turntable, what's your move? You'll sell your comics to buy. Nothing. I, Nothing. I don't. Why would I sell my comics? I'm. I've envisioned a room where it's like a rotation. It's like a clear glass wall, and there's just a rotation of comics that I can sit there, and the comics are just constantly being rotated mm. through, and I can look at them. Ugh. Just the covers. Just the covers, man. That's I, a very old man. That's a man who's has no other senses besides sitting there in a quiet room. <laughs> I can just you know die of old age in that room. Uh, I don't want to take a step back or anything, but I did for anybody who has never seen it or never heard us talk about it. I just wanted to call out your interview with run was hands down the best interview you I have ever seen you do Pete. And I (laughs) so distinctly remember that because like, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way because clearly we have a thing going on, but most of the time in interviews, We'll, you know, throw out a bunch of questions and you'll throw out some random ones and we'll, you know, go back and forth. But the run one, I remember you're like, I'm going to take this solo. Justin and I were like, all right. And you interviewed him and I remember both of us sitting there being like, holy shit, you knew (laughs) so much about him. He was so into talking to you. It was great. Like, it gives me so much joy to think about that interview. It was like watching a professional athlete. Uh, who had been on the bench his whole career, like take off his warm-up jacket and, and be Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very nice. That's probably the nicest thing either one of you have ever said about me. So thank you very much. Oh, I love that interview. Check so out good. the interview. It's out, I think yeah. it's still out there. It's uh, it right away asked is the interview of the Patreon archive. It wasn't on our live show. It was for Newsarama, so you might be able to get it on YouTube or something like that. Yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll try to look for it and grab it in the Patreon Slack. If somebody reminds me, I'll, I'll poke around. Yeah, let's for put it. it up there. Yeah, uh, cool. All right, we got another one here from YouTube. Jace the Archer, what's your most prized comic-related toy statue? Bust Funko. I think I'm going to go with an awesome uh, buy an awesome Hulkbuster from Sideshow Collectibles soon. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, this is uh, I'm I can mention a couple of specific things because, like, while I've been moving all of this stuff has been coming out of the woodwork that I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I forgot I had this. The two that I can think of offhand uh, one. And I think we got this for doing interviews for maybe for Newsarama or something. It was a signed fantastic Four, fantastic Four Marvel masterworks volume one by Stan Lee, which 
I, I honestly do not remember what I got it for, but it was for some interview or something. Which it sounds was, like maybe we got that, but you like got it. Yeah, yeah. It sounded like maybe <laughs> after the interview it was sent to us, but maybe yeah. you grabbed But maybe it ended up. I, I, mean, we, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Did you get one? I didn't get one. Did you get I don't one? have Stanley's signature yeah, floating around my yeah, fucking yeah. apartment. Uh, the other one, I have to apologize if this is anybody who's listening to the podcast in particular, because I vaguely remember it was somebody who listened to the podcast who really liked it, who gave this to me, but I found in my bookcase, which I completely forgot about, uh, three issues of Wasteland, the comic book that Delk close wrote oh wow which that was something that like i don't even know if i want to read them just because they're so pristinely preserved in their bags and boards and everything but that was something that was like very cool and surprising to find because i had completely up until that point eradicated all memory of voting it and you're such an improv head that had to really be like oh yeah. man i was of like the three uh-uh. of us of the three of us, it's good that you have that improv yeah. relic. Great. So your- those are two things that I have that you guys want. What do you yeah. have? Oh, my God. I guess the thing I like the most that I've collected over the years is Alex's birth certificate. I'm going <laughs> to hold on to. Uh, I'm going to really hold on to that um, for as long as I can. I think we got it from an interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I mean, when, I'm going to be moving at the end of the month, uh, so it's like I'm go through that whole experience that you're going through. But um, I, yeah, I would have to dig through to see. It's really for me about the cons, like meeting the people and like being able to like we've had so many amazing experiences with uh, creators or like kind of meeting people who we thought were awesome way before we met them in person, and then it kind of like took it to another level. I think. Now that I'm talking a little bit, I would say the uh, like I've got a couple signed things from Tim Seeley that it, like really is very memorable for me and, and like reminds me of the con where we got to meet, uh, you know, the guys behind Lock and Key. And that was kind of yeah. like pretty amazing. Uh, yes, my Punisher Shrine is a collection okay. of things that. Uh, people who worked at Marvel gave me, and then fans gave me. So that yeah. is also very special. But that stuff is so close to being garbage that it's. Uh, How dare you! I mean, uh, yes, to, to Joe Crack's comment, uh, custom apron truly in a shrine in my uh, in my home. It's in uh, my, my shrine, star, my Starman apron. Um, but let me throw out one other one that I actually maybe I've told this story before. Uh, happened to be unrelated to the show. Oddly, um, I was working in a restaurant that was right next oh, to an yeah. art an art gallery oh, yeah, yeah. and um we had uh, one of the owners of the restaurant also owned the art gallery so we had all this art and paul pope um it was exhibited there and did his printing there so we had a paul pope original uh, a piece he did for rolex he did a lot of branded stuff behind the bar we had that behind the bar and um so this guy comes in and he's sitting at the bar um he'd come in a couple of days over the course of the week and uh he's talking about some of the art on the other wall and i was like oh i actually love this paul pope piece right here um, i'm a big comic fan and he, uh, he made this and he's like oh yeah i'm paul pope um, <laughs> and so i was like oh oh ah cool so we talked for a couple hours um uh, poured him a bunch of wine and we had these uh brown paper uh table mats sort of thing and he pulled out he had a brush pen in his pocket he slides his plate of out. He, of course he did he slides his plate to the side and is like um he's sort of doodling there and then he's like well let me ask you this who's your favorite villain not just from comics but from anything i was like oh yeah okay 
Um, uh, give me a second. And I walked uh, into the back and was like, oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And so um, I uh, didn't know what to say. And I sort of panic said the Minotaur. Um, out of very random, like I'm not Your something I think character. about. No, but I, I I don't know why I said it. Truly, wow. um, from Greek mythology, and so he draws this epic Minotaur, Theseus, like killing the Minotaur, and he it has like a bunch of script on it, and it's just beautiful. I'll post a picture of. It. I'm not at my house right now, but when I get home, I'll post a picture of it because it like is treehouse. What's that? I am in a tree. tree I'm in the Swiss Family Robinson house from the movie Swiss Family Robinson (laughs) um, because I'm uh, so far away from society. Um, But I'll post a picture of it. It's a gorgeous thing that he made. As soon as he finished, I rolled it up. I was working a double, so I had to work dinner that night. I hid it in my little locker, and in the middle of dinner service, I kept going down, unraveling it and looking at it and being like, I have this. I have this. And kept rolling it up and finally got it framed. Uh, we've got a bunch of other great comments here. I want to read these two first and then um, other uh, collectibles that people have got. Uh, Ramsey Hassan, though, says, I wonder if Paul Pope did a dolly and paid for his meal by sketches, LOL. <laughs> uh, and Bendito740 says, Judge had a gremlins moment. I think that's accurate. Yes, uh, that is accurate. Yes. Uh, Jace the Archer on YouTube says, cool. Greg Ruckett signed Lazarus 15 for me. I love it. Um, that's great. And then a couple over here, uh, Beer Cat PhD says, a copy of Just the Tips. I got signed by Chip Zdarsky at ECC. Neil uh, Clyde, our amazing guest, says, uh, you're going to be very jealous of this one, Justin. An original Harris page from Starman, an original Sneaker uh, page from Starman. Oh, uh, Neil. Uh, this one, this one is very cool. Uh, Jay Citizen says, my mom found a box of stuff and in it was a sketch Jeff Johns drew for me of Wildcat and Wizard World 99. Wow. It was like oh. 10 at the time. And he stood in the DC booth and just talked to me about writing forever. Good times. I feel like Pete, wasn't one of your trivia questions last week or the week before that Jeff Johns actually went to the Kubert school. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. As an artist. No idea. That's amazing. Uh, And Edward Doherty says, I have a Darth Vader shower loofah. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Made by Darth Vader. That's very rare. Hold on to that. Uh, Question here on YouTube from Nelson Martinez. Do you guys think that Stargirl will remain the high quality show that it is now that is predominantly CW and not the TCU for season two? P.S. Love the show with the exception of Mikey, of course. Um, yes thank you for being a realist Uh, so for those of you who missed the news uh star girl was picked up for season two it's been airing on dc universe monday mornings uh and then tuesday nights on the cw it's been a huge hit for the cw in particular and so season two has been picked up as a cw original which means it won't air on dc universe oh man it'll just air on the cw uh and the but cw gonna- streaming it'll still be free like it'll be free on the cw yeah. streaming platforms because they're pretty generous and good about yeah, that stuff. dc gives you the longer app cw is the one cutting shit up but this is we shouldn't be complaining about this. This is for the best. The fact that yeah. this show is a success and I'm they're very like, happy oh. that it's getting picked up. But no, don't but they're, cut they're Barb. Saying, 
for Mikey out of the goddamn show. That they're saying, let's consolidate our viewerships to make sure we can keep making more of this so the numbers will, if anyone's watching in DC Universe, they will come mm-hmm. over to CW and we'll get fewer Mikey scenes because who cares? <laughs> It'll be Dude, great. What do you mean who cares? That's the best part of the show. Do you think they're uh, going to get Mikey back for season two or will he be too busy? Um, they got to doing- cut the budget somehow and the candy budget is out of control on us. Yeah. Worth it. It's worth it. Uh, To answer the question, though, I think it's going to be exactly the same. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about the budgetary thing. And granted, like, DC Universe is like, how can we hemorrhage money today? That's basically (laughs) their whole MO. That's their business model. It's a a Brewster's Million. They're in a Brewster's Million situation. They really are. I I like it. I like the service, but it's just, I don't know. They are not making money on it. But... They are turning out some great stuff. I mean, a Harley Quinn animated series is like hands down one of the mm-hmm. best animated series of all time. It's really great. And that's the kind of stuff that will save them and it will keep being a pipeline to HBO Max and like yeah. it'll it'll be it's good. Everything is good. Like well, you shouldn't be control. sad about any of this. No, uh, Joe Crack says Stripe on the CW isn't gonna look anywhere near as good, right? And I disagree with that. It's actually the thing that's probably not totally clear is it's the same production company. It's all coming from Warner yeah. Brothers. And when feel free to take a drink after this, when I talked to Jeff Johns for my day job about this, he mentioned very specifically oh. that oh, them yeah. doing. Oh, yeah, I worked for the day job. But he mentions very specifically that them doing experiments and figuring out how to do Gorilla Grodd on the flash is the thing that allowed them to be able to do Grundy on star girl. Yeah. So like, even the, even though like it's, first of all, it's not really changing anything, but it's also, it's the same crew. It's the same production company. It's going to be the same level of quality. I do think like later in the run, will they change the budget potentially, but it's going to be the same showrunner, same crew, same cast, everything. It's going to be the same show, just not on DC Universe. And I, I don't know. I mean, I obviously, um, as a line producer, I see a lot of budgets. Um, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the numbers, it, it, you, I don't think that DC Universe is going to be like is a money factory for a show like this. If it's a collab with the CW, they're going to want to keep the quality where it is. They're not going to be like, well sorry, we're cutting six weeks out of the post schedule uh, to not do any CGI on this show. Like they're going to make it look good. Um, and if they don't, if they, if the budget does shrink, they will write around that. So they don't get in the position where they're like, Hey, here's a garbage version of Solomon Grundy that you know, one will like, well, like, and also, if anything, it's going to be cheaper because they already have everything set up. They've already built the sets. They've yes. created the effects. So and it's a they success. Don't the, they, yeah. they don't want to. If it's a, a show is successful, they're not going to be like, well, here's a worse version of it. Like it's so mm-hmm. rare to have a successful show. Like look at like Katie Keene, which we talked about a lot. Like they did not pick that up because it wasn't successful enough for the money they were spending on it. So when you have a success, they're going to continue to spend the money on it. Yeah, that actually segues into another question here that I am going to find about Katie Keene. Hold on. 
Hold on. Let me find it. Oh, here we go. Digging this is in. from uh, Tina Hoven. What are your thoughts on the cancellation of Katie Keene? I'm not shocked, but a little disappointed. It was an uneven season, but the show was on its way to finding itself. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, again, if you haven't heard the news, uh, Katie Keene was canceled. They have another month to shop it around at this point, uh, and they are planning on doing that. But uh, it kind of seems, based on everything that the cast and crew is saying, that that show is done. Yeah, I would think it'd be tough to quote unquote shop that around at this point. Like, it's a show that sort of made it splash, so it'd be hard to replicate that. Um, It's a, I mean, I really enjoyed the season. I thought it was great. I thought it was a great cast of characters. And it, it was one, I mean, the amount of conversations we had on our podcast uh, that got personal for us. I think was amazing. And the fact that we were able to be inspired to have those conversations out of a, a CW show um, that was, you know, based on a underserved Archie comic, like that is uh, an achievement. Pete, yeah. you probably have some feelings about this one. Yeah, it's tough because we put a lot into the, you know, KO relationship and, you know, not to be able to have that pay off is very heartbreaking. You think that was the mistake they made? Well, and I said yeah. this um, in our Patreon and you never responded, Pete, but uh, how do you feel knowing that she ended up with the prince um, based on yeah, that's the last not, episode? That's not, that's not true. That's, you know, that's... that's a no, in, the elevator, in, the, in the elevator in the last episode, like they, she looked at him and it was like, okay. So, so what? That doesn't mean anything. Uh, she knows that she. Where loves the fuck is Ko? Ko is out of the. He's he's no no. He wasn't there. The sh- they, if you would have talked to one of the writers on the show, they would have said that yeah, it was there that we were going to have them hook back up again because that was very obvious. But uh, to get back to a little bit about what we're saying though, like that show was a little bit all over the place, but really had moments and pockets of just beauty joy openness and like uh, they 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 had something at at times that was really great unfortunately it wasn't all the time they were you know it takes a little bit to kind of get your legs uh, as a tv show so it's just uh, unfortunate that it, it ended before it could really begin because there was a real there was a lot of heart there and it was pretty powerful and i'm sad to see it go yeah i totally agree i mean it's it was also, and a lot of people have called this out, but a very unabashedly queer show and a very inclusive show, which yes. is yes. rare on TV. And it's certainly rare on broadcast TV versus cable. So that was amazing and laudable in and of itself. I think uh, to get back to what you were saying, Justin, from a business standpoint, it just had a lot of things against it. Like, uh, yeah, you look at the other stuff in the Archieverse, Riverdale is just a shock a bit. It gets people talking because constantly they up themselves in terms of, I can't believe what's happening right now. Sabrina works the same way while being more cohesive as a storytelling unit, where it's just, I can't believe they're doing this, but making this work. And it's working against your opinion of the squeaky clean Archie comics. Katie Keene leaned into that squeaky clean. Like there was still sex and there was still adult content and everything, but it was something that felt more pure and more true to the Archie comics. And yeah, it, it was arcing towards sweetness, which mm-hmm. I think is a difficult, what shows are like that? Like it's yeah. such a rare thing. And I think that's one thing we were really glommed on to about it is like, Oh, this reminds us of our lives in New York um, and the sweet moments we had being people here. Uh, and yeah. it's just hard to 
have that apply to a, a ton of people. Um, it, it just doesn't, world, it does, uh, Oh, Pete has to go. You have to go, Pete. Thank you so much. Yeah. What, we keep talking yeah, about what about trivia? What are we doing yeah. here? Uh, yeah, you, you got it, buddy. You take it. <laughs> I wrote it, but I, you know, I'm sorry. That we didn't get very hard. Email it, email it to, uh, or text it to Justin or me and we'll figure it out. Thanks, okay, Pete. great. I'll do yeah, that text right it to us. Great. Uh, I'll just keep the camera running and then I'll run and then I'll. Perfect. That's great. All right. Yeah, definitely run as much as possible. (laughs) What is he doing? Uh, That's the worst of all possible. This is good. This is a valuable. (laughs) Pete definitely understands how production works. uh, Because this is definitely what you want is an empty seat. CNN does this a lot when one of their co- their talking heads can't be there. They just constantly leave leaving uh, to do birthday parties and things. <laughs> uh, just to wrap up with what we were talking about with. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and not so those of you listening. Not only is Pete just gone, but they're in the background, literally having this conversation. Oh, oh Pete, Pete just turn it off, away. Pete. He can't hear us anymore. <laughs> So uh, I love it. Also, he's not going to make it back. I love it. Call for half an hour. Uh, just to finish up, who we were saying? Oh, he though, just back to muted us. Also, it's perfect. Great. Uh, just to uh, talk, finish up, what we were talking about with Katie Key, and I think it didn't have the ratings. It didn't uh, turn it off, Pete. It didn't have the ratings. It didn't have the social conversation. <laughs> I think critically, it was like. People liked it, but it wasn't a critically acclaimed show in the way that would have potentially saved it. And clearly the streaming numbers were there. I think it was also really hurt by just the whole clusterfuck behind HBO Max existing, where normally it would have gone to Netflix and it probably would have gotten some good streaming numbers there. But nobody's really watching HBO Max, so they couldn't make a good enough argument for, oh, look at the stream numbers on HBO Max. People will come back for a season two. So, oh, well, it's done. Here's my last yeah. take that I'll say about Katie Key and that I think we did talk about a bit on the podcast. Um, it should have been a Josie and the Pussycat show. Like, I think that's the biggest thing that hurt it right out the gate is it didn't have the name recognition. Wow. Honestly, like, you say, call it Josie and the Pussycats. People know what that is. They're like, oh, I want to watch that. You call it Katie Keene. People didn't know what Katie Keene was. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, obviously, it would have been a wildly different show if she was the lead. But I guess it not that much. It would have yeah. just downplayed. It would have sort of flip-flopped the time you spent with each of those stories. And it would have given us much more of Josie dealing with her career and relationship. Um, and we would have known the Pussycats much more, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, it is done for the moment, but I guess we'll know for sure by the end of the month. Uh, I don't know if we can answer this one, but this is from Joe Crack. Considering Pete's hatred of DC's arguably most popular Silver Age heroes, are there any Silver Age heroes from the comics Pete actively loves? Great. Let's answer that for Pete since he's left a blank window. Silver Age heroes that he loves. It is interesting, uh, like well, well, well observed. Well observed that uh, Pete doesn't specifically doesn't like Silver Age heroes. That's ah, sort of odd, isn't it? Yeah, that is weird. I think he just doesn't like old timey things because they're not shooting people with guns. 
if anything, he should go back to like the original masked yeah. men because they were constantly killing people. Uh, true truth. Um, Trying to think of a Silver Age hero he would love. Is there one? I guess he would like, he likes Silver Age Green Arrow stuff. Uh, maybe yeah. Green Arrow? Maybe. I guess let's check back in one on this one either next week or if we go until 840. Uh, all right. Eduardo says, inspired by our guest from TKA Studio, say, <laughs> Chad, uh, how do you guys feel that the increase of comics IP and other media has affected comics? Do you see it more or less risk taking? Is it a non factor? I think you had a good answer about this one, Justin. About IP? Um, I think, well, based on what TKA was doing, it's like, getting your ducks in a row in a, in a really professional way. And I think they're doing a good job of this um, is like, Hey, let's make great comics. And then, but we also have the apparatus to develop those great comics into great television and movies. Um, being able to put the quality at the front end of that, as well as the back end is different than a lot of models that were around like five, 10 years ago, where it was people being like, hurry up, put this comic out so we can sell the movie that is also already in production. Mm -hmm. And the comic can be bad because the movie's already sold. So I think uh, TKO is being smart about it by being sort of monopolistic about it. Not to uh, post-game our interview later on on the podcast, but the big takeaway for me from talking to him about TKO Studio stuff is the fact that he called out the colorist for a book which was like nobody who's running an IP farm ever does that, ever. So that to me was a big tell that like he actually has. They don't know the colorists. Exactly. Like they have color, these comics? Huh. I don't know. Uh, This is a question from Some colors these. Cool. My kid colors. Sorry, I'm very rich. Uh, here's a question from Lion Man. Why does a Stargirl staff just write somewhere what uh, what's on its mind? It seems to be sentient. It can fly and shoot beams. So what's the problem? Uh, I think. I mean, not to go back to my uh, to, to Jeff Johns for a preview piece or anything, but he said that there is like a whole story with the staff that they have planned out for. I think five seasons or something like that. But it's definitely like. There's a backstory there, whether it's tied to comics or not, we don't know, but there's something going on with the staff more than we know. It's not going to be told in the first season, but it's going to play out eventually. Uh, cool. Uh, that's super interesting. I, I, can't believe, I can't believe they're doing that to really lay in a backstory to the staff that we won't know for a very long time because it feels very present. Yeah. I I like that because it to me it says that Jeff is thinking like a showrunner for the show, which is what he should be doing. Because you know, pursuant to our conversation about uh, dude running TKO Studios, talking about the colorist, it's the same thing. Sort of things with like comic writers turned showrunners, where they're not necessarily thinking about the long term plan with things. Um, they're just sort of writing as we go. So I don't know. Uh, but it's good. Uh, here's a question from Ben, the border collie. Are there other cooking or food related comics you'd recommend? My good to answer would have been starve, but you know, Brian Wood got himself canceled. Yes, uh, that is true. Yeah. Uh, the Truth. two, 
Two uh, took my answer in the comments. Chew, mm-hmm. Chew is a good one. Yeah, uh, Project X Cup Noodle. I don't know what that is, but uh, two two manga that I'd mention. There's one called Iron Walk Jan, which is an insane manga about a dude who's just insanely angry and goes into these cooking competitions, but it's great and crazy. There's another one called Oshinbo, which gets a little more deeper into the food stuff. uh, Stray Bullet says get Shiro. I think it's get Yiro, the one by Anthony Bourdain, which is also real good. At some point, I'll tell my story about Anthony Bourdain, which is one of oh, my yeah, yeah. favorite moments in professional life ever, uh, having to die with that book. Uh, but did get you Yiro's interview great. him as well? Because uh, I interviewed him when we were doing we were doing San Diego Comic Con, and I interviewed him yeah. for that book. Did you also? Yeah. I did. So it was when I was with MTV Geek and DC was like, hey, we're having an event to celebrate the launch of Get Euro at Les Halles downtown. And I was like, oh, yes. okay, I'll come to that. That would be great. Uh, That sounds amazing. And we went there and there were like, I want to say generously, 10 press people there and just Anthony Bourdain in this private room at Les Halles. And it was weirdly awkward because we weren't talking to or anything. He was just kind of standing there. The press people who I knew were all standing together. But the two things that happened to that beyond the interview with him were one, they were passing around hors d'oeuvres the entire time and they passed around bone marrow and they were like, do you want some bone marrow? And I said, sure, I'll try it. And I was the only one who tried the bone marrow. And across the room, Anthony Bourdain pointed at me. It was like bone marrow. Good man. I was like, oh, he's proud of me. Uh, and then the second thing that happened was when we were... He's proud of me. Yes, daddy is proud of me. Uh, and then at the end of the interview, uh, we were both drinking beers, and he clinked beers with me. And I was like, oh, I got to cheers with Anthony Bourdain. That's amazing. So that was great. And he is missed. Ooh, Straight Bullet also has an Anthony Bourdain bone marrow story for real. That's exciting. I almost feel like we need to bring you into the stream for that, Brett. Brett, uh, I don't know if we can do that. Here, Brett, I'm going to bring you into the stream so you can tell your bone marrow story. Because I want to know know what it is. He's ready. Yeah, there we go. That's the kind of people we are. We hear a bone marrow, uh, and we're like, bring it. Hi, Hey, Hey, Brett, what's going on? Okay, this is pursuant to our, our comic book podcast. Tell us your bone marrow story. So uh, I was a chef in Los Angeles for uh, about 10 years or so when I first started cooking. And I was uh, the chef. I started as a sous chef at a place called Campanile, which is no longer there. But he used to fly out and do book signings all the time. And he would like we did probably hosted like three of his book signings where we would cook stuff from his books. And he would go he would just stop in for like an hour and he was always wasted and he was always like, he just got off the plane and he'd been drinking. And then I was cooking one night. It was just me on the line. The rest of the line cooks that were taking a break or they were off and we weren't busy. And he comes back stumbling with a shaking a glass of whiskey. And he's like, Hey man, uh, what are you cooking there? And I was sitting there basing the steak out of his book. It was his recipe ah, and it has bone marrow. Stressful. On the steak, and so there's a there's the bone in the pan with the steak, and you base that you're basing the steak, and then I'm basing the bone marrow, and then he's like, oh wow, that's great, that's great. He's like, uh, you're doing a great job, 
And I was like, uh, thanks, chef. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to uh, be a sous chef one day. And I said, uh, I already am, chef. <laughs> like, yeah, do it. And he took a big drink uh, and then he off into the bar. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I got to meet him like three, four times that's at that restaurant just for that. That's he also so did a bunch of like food network stuff in there too, where he was just getting started with those shows. It was right around that time. So he was like the, our, my boss, my chef was a big celebrity chef in LA for a long time. So uh, same thing. So cool. Yeah. Brett, yeah. thank you. Uh, we so thank cool. you for when sharing I interviewed your... him for, for that, for his comic book. Um, he was so chill and just like super into that actual comic book process as well. Like it was yeah. great. Cool. Oh. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Brad. Great. If anybody else has any bone marrow stories they want to share about Anthony, Bourdain, definitely let us know. Uh, we got one here from, yeah, there's gotta be a bunch of them out there. <laughs> uh, from Nelson Martinez. Do you guys watch any manga anime? If so, what are your faves? I just recently got into my hero academia and death note and I'm loving him. This is another question for Pete. I feel like, <laughs> uh, I will say it's not anime. Yeah. I mean, definitely. He's been, he's been doing Cowboy Bebop very intensely. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, this is not exactly anime, but I started watching avatar with the kids, which, for months, well, I don't know if it's been months, whatever that was put back on Netflix, they were like, no, we're not going to watch that. No, no, no. And we finally watched it. And after one episode, they were like, this is the best and we love it, which was great. Yes. Uh, Avatar is truly one of my favorite, favorite shows. Uh, so good. Uh, here we got a question from Jay Citizen. Does the Joker like improv? Do you think we get to the point where part of his origin is getting tossed out of an improv class instead of being a hacky Catskills comic? Uh, Great question. I definitely think if they make a sequel to Joker, it should be him taking classes at UCB. Uh, I mean, I feel like, I mean, Alex, do you feel like the joke, you came up to the sketch world mostly. Do you think you you feel closer to the Joker from your, uh, in relation to your career, right? Uh, yeah, Joker is more of like a st- sketch guy than an improv guy. I think so. He does stand up in the movie, but you can tell. You can tell that he wants to be like on the Sousans or something like that. Um, it would be. I, I'd be curious if he was based in a, as an improviser, how it would change the character. Because technically, he wouldn't need as much makeup or uh, mm-hmm. as many props. It'd be just a lot of object work um, and just <laughs> devastating sort of choices. Um, and there would be a much smaller audience, obviously. Right. Well, if they wanted to, they could base it on Wastelands, the comic book by Del Close that uh, I idolize and love so much. Uh, You're constantly bragging about I really am. Uh, oh, this is a big question. What's y'all's favorite book book, not comic book book? Ooh, favorite Ooh, book great call. Matt, I don't know. I'm trying to think about a book. Um, I've been a... Uh... I've been a Kurt Vonnegut guy my whole life, um, so I would go to bat for um, almost any of his uh, work. 
Hmm. Uh, Edward Doherty says in cold blood. That's a good one. Um, man, I don't know. Favorite book. I I'm trying to think of anything that like I've read multiple times, but honestly, particularly since I've had kids, I have only read comic books just because it's quicker. Like you don't, it's so frustrating to try to read a book and get interrupted every two sentences versus a comic book. It's like, all right, at least I've gotten through two pages and then I could go do something else and then I come back, you know? Nice. So your favorite book is Madeline or Brown Bear. <laughs> My favorite book is Cat of the Hat. Yes, exactly. Uh, ooh, uh, we forgot to do this. Uh, Nelson Martinez says, salute. What is everyone's beverage of choice this evening? I guess we'll never know what Pete is drinking. Justin, what are you drinking right now? He's drinking a birthday. I was drinking a um, Mezcal Negroni. Uh, so mezcal, uh, Campari, and uh, sweet vermouth. It was very good. Nice. Uh, nothing too fancy for me. I'm just drinking a two-hearted ale. Uh, yesterday, after moving for great choice, uh, probably 18 hours straight on the way back, I grabbed a six-pack of two-hearted, sat on the floor of the kitchen, and looked at absolutely nothing for like 10 minutes, and just drank a beer. It's very nice. I didn't want anything complicated or weird or anything like that. Just a two-hearted ale. That's all. Good on uh, you. And uh, if Pete was drinking High Life, I think that was mm, accurately observed by uh, um, everybody in the street. Interesting. Uh, last question we got here from Joe Crack. Does Stargirl not coming back to DC Universe for Season 2 and Doom Patrol and HBO Max mean bad things for the future of DC Universe? I mean, I think everybody knows that their future, like the clock is ticking away for DC Universe at this point. Yeah, it's going to be folded into HBO Max. Like, and I don't mind the idea of their slow playing a little bit to, if they have another hit, they can be like, look, this is coming to HBO Max and pull as many subscribers as possible over to that. But uh, yeah, not not a huge outlook for DC Universe in general. Yeah, uh, it's it's a good service, particularly if you like comic books, which I assume most of our listeners and viewers do. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good back catalog there, probably better than the video stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just it doesn't have subscribers. Like to be perfectly blunt, blunt about it, most comic books probably have what like at the high end, 80, 90,000 readers a month, pro- pro- most probably not even that, like twenty to 30,000. Yeah. And they're not marketing to the people who watch the DC movies, which even that isn't as big as the Marvel movies. They're marketing to the comic book readers, which is a limited audience for a streaming service. So there's just no way that they can make their money back. And I think everybody knew that up front and they decided to go forward with it anyway, but just didn't figure out a way to make it worthwhile anyway. So I don't know as a, as a creator of, but if if anything, it should be the flip where they, would they market based on the TV shows and market backwards to the comic book, which maybe they can do coming out of HBO max Mm -hmm. in a way that might be great. 
The two things, uh, so Judge Crack says not having the CWs on there is also hurtful, right? Uh, maybe not hurtful, but certainly hurt them uh, not having the complete catalog of DC stuff, which is the same thing that's hurting the HBO Max right now. Is like they have a DC hub and it's sparse. They do not have a lot of stuff on there, which is a huge bummer. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I actually forgot the second thing that I was going to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, drink. That's no, there's yeah. no shame in that, Alex. Uh, you're tired uh, and people need to drink because of it. Yes, I am very tired. All right. Uh, Pete has not sent us trivia, so we're not going to do it. We could probably delay for 10 minutes, but I, I don't know. I have it. I have it. Oh, you I got it. it right you here. got it. All right. Then in that case, it's time right for here. trivia with Justin Tyler. Written by Pete Page. we just need a one first hand up person to raise their hand um, right. in any capacity. Um, Ooh, in we got one comment. over here. And then I, I will read. Uh, there it is. Right, uh, and invite- uh, Ben does slip. Pete has not left the stream. Pete is in the stream. You just see his slowly setting stun on Hello. the apartment that he lives in. Hello. Uh, are you doing. wearing a comic book club shirt? Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Love Already it. Already a winner. I feel very good about this. All right. Justin's going to do um, some trivia. So um, this is very. All right. Easy. Without the trivia present. Yes. Um, uh, this is. This is written by Pete LePage. It's very easy. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to read you some questions. There will be three answers. And um, I guess I will, you know, what's weird is he never, he doesn't list in here which answer is correct. So I guess I'm just going to guess. And then you can also guess. Uh, Those is fun. A classic trivia host doesn't list the answer. Um, And today's trivia um, is on, this is actually pretty exciting. It's on topical comic news. So, uh, Question number one. Audible released a trailer for the Sandman series. Who is the voice of Morpheus? Is it A, James McAvoy? Is it B, Lawrence Fishburne? Or C, Matt Salinger? Uh, Going to go with A, maybe? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know the answer, but All I right. think it's A. What? Um, Alex, why don't you do research on these questions? Yeah, while yeah. I'm going to look them. stuff up. I feel like he's trying to say it'd be funny if it was. The code was ABA, right? It's, it's very. You know what? Uh, that's a great call. I love where your head's at. That you already you're reading the um, underlying pattern. Um, it's very funny that without hints, these are actually difficult questions. Um, I guess Pete really gets it. Uh, Question number two. Who has posted new stuff on their website today? It's been 25 <laughs> years since we've seen something new. Hasn't it? <laughs> this is a very pointed question, I guess. Uh, a, Bill Watterson. B, Gary Larson. Or C, Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, I guess I'll go with B. Um, so that's... Uh, um, let me th- give you a hint. Um, it's sort of not B. Oh, A? 
All right. It's A. I believe it's A based on my observation of the internet. I think Bill Watterson posted some stuff because it was a Calvin and Hobbes reunion. Oh, okay. Alex, how's my fact fact check coming on questions one and two? Uh, I got to be honest. I was actually looking up the Robin Williams movie that he was hinting at, and (laughs) Kevin got it right. It's What Dreams May Come, just to spoil that little thing. That's the wrong. That's the wrong energy, Alex. You're not following the right trivia energy. I'm you sorry, haven't looked up the answer to question today. number one. Wow, that's true. Uh, everybody, drink. Question number three: Steve Orlando and artist David Tinto are creating a creator-owned image comic series called A Commander in Crisis, B Crisis Commander, or C. Werner Herzog. Uh, um, and l- again, again, I don't know the answer to this, so I am going to um, quickly look it up. But why don't you answer, and I'll tell you if you got it right. Like most trivia works, maybe a. And I'll, it's hard because the answers are very similar. But you are Wait, correct. This commander in crisis. Nice job. I fact checked wow. myself. Uh, congratulations. congratulations. You just won trivia, I assume, because our fact, our fact checker, Alex, is bad at his job. Everybody drank <laughs> throughout this whole thing. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, um, your... so... <laughs> uh, go ahead, Justin. Is Justin frozen? I was going to say, uh, yeah, shoot us your uh, information and we'll get you a $25 gift card. Um, thank you for understanding topical comic news and a special shout out to pete for giving us the questions without answers <laughs> thank you so much it was awesome uh thank you for coming on all right uh man i love this show i love the fact that i'm cracked out for moving uh justin is on some sort of delay and uh pete isn't here so this is this is working out really well i think we should probably wrap <laughs> up the show before we go any further uh, what are you looking forward to tomorrow, including DC stuff, of course, uh, which is already out, uh, but new comic book day technically is tomorrow. Uh, what's going on? Uh, what are you looking forward to, Justin? I'm looking forward to um, uh, Adventureland number two. I Adventure Man. A, Adventure Man number two, excuse yeah. me, um, which is uh, Adventure Man, yes. Um, super excited for that book. Um, the first ti- the first issue was super, uh, didn't, ex- I didn't expect what was coming as it went on and it really landed well. And I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a review of that on our stack podcast, which comes out Wednesday at 9am in the comic book club feed and in the stack feed. Another one we're going to have a review of, uh, I was waffling between this a little bit, but, uh, we're going to be talking about excellence number eight from image comics. I know we've talked about every issue of this, but, uh, to spoil what I'm probably going to say uh, on the Stack podcast, okay. this is like this is the book of the moment. Is what I feel like it is so good, and what it does with this issue raises the real world stakes so much. Man, I can't wait for you all to read it. I'm very excited. Uh, yeah. All right, that is it. Couple of things to plug before we go, and I'm going to start up the sound cue here. Okay. Uh, so first of all, thank you to our two amazing guests on the show, 
Neil Clyde. Don't forget to check out Saber that comes out next year, so you have plenty of time. Also, St. John uh, from TKO Studios. You can check out all of their stuff absolutely free right now, so please go do that. Next week, we're going to have another great show for you. Jim Zub is going to be here talking about all things Dungeons & Dragons and other things. Also, yes. Nat Towson is going to be here, and we're going to test the tech in advance, see if it works. We're going to find out how many... Nat Towson. Uh, Yes, we're going to find out how many catching gloves that he has in a bucket and all of those good things. Also, a couple of things to plug. Star Guys, our Stargirl podcast, is currently running twice a week, Mondays and Tuesday nights, so definitely check that out. Also, Let's Hear It for the Boys, our boy podcast is currently running. That's available everywhere. And Umbrella Academy, our Umbrella Academy podcast has just kicked off. That's going to go every Thursday, so check that out as well. Patreon.com slash comic book club. I choose Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. Comicbookclublive.com at Comic Book Live on Twitter. Please follow us and check us out. We appreciate that. And folks, we'll see you next time. Maybe we'll all be there. Yeah.